this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and metal podcast here at Central Michigan Life. I'm Andrew Mullen, and as always, I'm joined by my absolutely wonderful, brilliant, amazing co-host. Michael Livingston. <laughs> what? You don't like compliments? I do. Thank you, Andrew. You are wonderful as well. But we are not joined by our co-host er, po- and podcast editor, Ben Ackley, today. He is out, but... Andrew, we have, we have another Ben yes. here with us to replace it. We have probably our most, at this point, our most common, like recurring guest here on CM Life. We're always happy to have him on. Who are you? Hey guys, Ben Solis here, uh, formerly of CM Life, now with Gongwer New Service. Big time metal fan, and very happy to be back on the show, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you you're, for being you're right that you are a big time metal fan because we've had you in this weird funk metal rut kind of the last the, all the times we had you on. We're not getting you completely out of the metal realm yet, but uh, we're at least expanding your, <laughs> the, the, the realms of your knowledge here that you can uh, share with us here on the episode. Because today, you have no idea how giddy I am for this episode. We can we're tell. talking about... <laughs> Michael probably knows. Uh, we're talking about thrash metal, particularly thrash beyond the big four thrash. And we're all, I think any even casual music fans at least has a general understanding of what the big four thrash is. I don't know what people's you know, music fans' big obsession with coming up with the biggest four names in a particular genre. I've heard it with grunge, I've heard it with hair metal, whatever. But thrash seems to be the most prevalent with that. Obviously, Metallica, uh, Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, those are generally regarded as the big four thrash. And while they're all great in their own rights, they have a lot of great and, let's be honest, bad records, people know about them. What's The thrash is a very large genre. A lot of bands are in, that, in it. What's beyond the big four? And that's what I kind of hope to explore with today. But before we go any further with this, Michael... I think we, have, we should probably plug in our social media. Of course. Feel free to follow us at S-Check Official on Twitter. You can follow me at Michael C. Live on Twitter. Follow me at Andrew Mullen 4. Ben, do you have any social to plug? I do. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Solis 1, the numeral 1. Thank you. All important numeral. Um, but yeah, uh, well, you know, and like I said, I was very excited to do this episode today because this is one of my favorite genres. So, spoilers. Um, and I, I've listened to this genre for a long time. And I kind of want this episode to kind of be a guide for someone who wants to, again, look past, you know, what I've seen, you know, dubbed as like starter metal bands. I've seen these memes going around online where people like say, don't judge people listening to like starter metal smarter pack metal bands, you know, kind of referring to maybe Maiden or Sabbath or the big four of thrash, you know, and, and I, and I agree with that. I, I don't think we should gatekeep, you know, and I think maybe an episode that can help someone, you know, guide through, introduce, you know, a good number of bands that they could check out. Um, 
maybe kind of expand their taste there. So that's kind of my idea for this episode. And, uh, and I'll, I'll dive more into the details and how we're going to do that in a second. But what I want to do is uh, kind of open the floor to you guys to kind of uh, share, briefly share your experiences with Rash, whether it be with uh, bands in the big four or not, just kind of your overall uh, love and appreciation, how you first got into it, you know, the gist of that. Guess go first, Ben. Well, um, you know, I grew up on this music, you know, when, when you're young and you're a musician and you're getting into music, you, you have really two avenues. It's the, the classic rock of the day, or you dive headfirst into metal. And I was fortunate enough that I did both, but, um, you know, very early fan of Megadeth and Metallica <clears throat> grew into Anthrax and eventually Slayer. And I understand, you know, there's this weird um, gatekeeping of the big four, but I, you know, there's a reason why that those four names are are always mentioned in in the thrash metal conversation is because they not only did it arguably best, you know, they had some of the most um, concise and most uh, concept driven uh, thrash metal albums that were available, and they were highly popular. Uh, so you can't discount any of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up a huge Metallica fan, very into the earlier albums, wasn't very much into like, um, black album or any, like the nineties albums very much, uh, always kind of preferred Megadeth out of all of them, uh, became a very big Anthrax fan as I got back into college and started re-listening to the music that I, you know, loved as a child. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to, I believe it was in 2019, possibly the summer before the pandemic hit uh i went to go see slayer anthrax testament and lamb of god with dave clark of cm life your guys's advisor so he invited me to the to the show and we uh had a great time it was awesome seeing those bands i'm not a huge testament fan which i know that uh, andrew is gonna harangue me for as we get through this because i know he likes testament a lot but it was just a a fantastic show and um you know as we go through this episode, you're going to find all of these really cool connections of these bands with each other. Uh, And when we get to Exodus, I'll bring that up too, because Gary Holt has been playing guitar with Slayer since Hanneman died. Um, So, you know, there's all these weird interconnected things. And I'm just really happy to be on this episode because I get to relive my childhood with you guys for a little bit. Kind of in the same vein, I get to relive some of my childhood too. I mean, my relationship with metal, thrash metal specifically, is very complicated. It's one of the first genres I ever got into. I can remember the day I first heard Master of Puppets sitting in my friend's basement. We're playing Nirvana, and then the, this song skips to the next one in his playlist, and I just hear those crushing riffs and, and just everything that makes that song so brilliant. And then you know, as I mature, I get older, I start to, uh, I mean, looking back on it, I can call it pretentiousness, just like at the end of high school, wanting to explore out of just the, the big four, you know, the big four of thrash and the big four of classic rock and grunge and everything. Um, I don't know, maybe you can call it an identity crisis, but, uh, you know, as I get older at, towards the end of my college career, I start to realize that those old pretensions need to die. And uh, this episode was a great way to get that going. So I'm really excited to be here too. You can call me the thrash normie on this one. That'll kind of be my role throughout this. I'll insert my opinions then. But I'm hoping listeners who are new to this stuff can sort of relate to me and kind of go in with an open mind. What's up, Ben? <laughs> 
Michael, don't feel bad about that whatsoever, man. No. Everybody has that. Everybody has that period where they are into one type of music. They think it's lame and they get over it. But you know what? You're you're a good man for going back and admitting your <laughs> ignorance. Because I had to do that myself a lot of times while I was in college, too. And this is when I revisited most of this music as well and really found a new appreciation from it, um, for it because I was an adult now. I wasn't a kid anymore. So rock on, man. No worries. Thank you. I think Andrew's the only person that I don't think ever had that evolution. <laughs> No, you've I mean, been in I mean, the I, same I, music your whole life. <laughs> well, not quite, but no, but yeah, you know, first of all, and I, and I totally agree with Ben there. You know, there's probably plenty of bands that I can think of where I'll, you know, think, like sit on like, you know, Electric Light Orchestra, for instance, not still a huge fan of them, but, you know, see, Ben sees, I used to, when I was first getting into music, oh, they're great. And then, like a while, like oh, who needs that synth crapper? And then, like now that I look back on it, it's like, well, what am I talking about? It's all yellow. Like they're 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 fine. They're they're talent. They're they're innovative. But whatever. But besides that, talking about metal, my my, my journey kind of um, probably similar to your guys's. I started with like many people with Sabbath, uh, but I didn't even realize that Sabbath was metal at the time because metal has evolved so much sonically over the years. I remember th- when I was first like getting into music, thinking, oh, I don't want this metal crap. It's just a bunch of people screaming and going grr, whatever. And obviously it's very incorrect. And once I learned that, hey, that Paranoid song by Black Sabbath on my phone is apparently metal. I really like that. Huh, maybe I'm just maybe, maybe I'm being pretentious here and I should just go explore it myself. And that less I went through all my dad's, you know, Metallica CDs and eventually that led to the rest of the big four and bands beyond it, you know, like Overkill and you know, I mentioned Testament and later on bands like Creator. Um, I found myself really enjoying it and it's probably among my big three like my personal big three genres i mean like it's punk alternative 90s alternative and you know thrash metal those are my my three like cherished genres that i just love beyond death and you know it's interesting you meant we, we talked about like, kind of exploring this genre in high school and kind of getting into it and obviously to me yeah it's as an angsty you know whatever you know whatever you're old in, in high school yeah i mean thrash is a fairly appealing genre especially when i wanted something that was loud you know fast and uh you know aggressive but you know even as i've gotten older i found myself when i you know, now that I can appreciate, you know, you know, musicianship more and production more and the more that I've learned about music, I find myself still really enjoying the music. And, you know, even I will say there are very legitimate issues and criticisms of thrash for sure. Um, I, overall, I, I, I find so much to love about the genre still, even even though I'm about to graduate college, you know, like Michael said, I, it, it's my 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 willingness to listen to thrash has, has ebbed and flowed a bit. Uh, dur- during during my life, you know, since high school, but you know, generally, I still love this music. And researching this episode was just a blast for me because I got to revisit a lot of stuff I haven't checked out in a while. All right, Andrew, what's the next step here? Are we going into our bands? Are we possibly discussing the Big Four a little more in depth? Or- um, so, so my my idea is, apart from when it's necessary. We don't really mention the big four very much. I think most people generally know, especially mm-hmm. uh, if you're listening to this episode, you probably already know who the big four is and what they have to offer. They're big albums, they're big songs. But what, so like I said earlier, I kind of want to give the bands outside of that a chance to shine. Uh, you know, g- g- give people who want to explore beyond that a chance to kind of explore the genres. So what we've done here today, uh, I think we've come up with a total of nine bands to kind of like 
give you know general introductions to you. We're not going to go deep diving into their whole discographies or their histories. God no, I'll take forever. Uh, just a quick introductions to all these bands. Uh, either myself or Ben uh, have pick, picked out either two albums, an album, or maybe a collection of songs to help you know Michael in particular, but even each other because I wasn't even familiar with all the bands on on today's list. Uh, you know, uh, give a general idea of what this band sounds like and who they are, and uh, you know, and also for the listeners at home. And we'll kind of discuss um, the bands around what we listen to. Um, uh, and and, and I'll, I'll let the audience know who picked who picked for what band you know when, when we get to them each of the band also kind of fills in like a certain category I guess or subgenre um, and, and that'll make more sense as we kind of go throughout the uh, uh, throughout the list here um, other than that do you guys have anything else you want to say before we dive into these bands that we have here today no I think I think we're good let the head banging commence uh, no, I, my neck's already hurting too much from that. Com- <laughs> commit to your bit, man. <laughs> oh, dude. Maybe, maybe at the end I'll, I'll, I'll let the hair flow. Maybe Ben and I can rock it at the end. Although you, oh, I think your hair is long enough for that too, Michael. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, let's get started. So the first three bands we're talking about today is, are, is under the category of what I'm going to call the little three of thrash. Pretty much... These th- these next three these first three bands we're going to talk about are genuinely guarded by metal you know fans as the biggest you know bands in thrash outside the big four. Um, I mean, some might dispute maybe some of these, but like really, it's hard to argue, even when you, especially when you look at their like their monthly Spotify numbers, that these aren't the bi- these aren't the biggest three bands outside of thrash. And the first band uh, that we're going to talk about here. Is Exodus, um, obviously famed San Francisco, you know, Bay thrash band formed in 1979. It's not, it's not the last time you'll hear about the San, San Francisco Bay Area on this episode. In fact, I think Ben will definitely kind of elaborate on that, on that more. But uh, key members, you know, there's there's a lot. They've, there's been so many lineup changes with the band. It's kind of hard to to narrow that down. But generally, you're gonna have three studio singers throughout their entire careers. Paul Bailoff, who was only on their first record. Uh, Steve Souza, is that how you say his name, Ben? Um, I've never been able to say his name right. Um, I think so, yes. I, I'm not sure of the pronunciation either, so your guess is as good as mine. But Steve yes. Souza, yes. But he's been in and out of the band a lot. And then Rob Dukes, who's with them throughout like much of the two, uh, you know, 2000s. Uh, so, And uh, yeah, generally... Those are your vocalists. You also have, of course, famed uh, guitarist Gary Holt is probably one of the most consistent members throughout the band's history. Um, uh, you have Kurt Hammett. Obviously, Metallica fame was there shortly before they recorded their first record. Um, you know, and you, yeah, you have a lot of different people moving in and out from there. Um, ben, would um, you pick the songs up for this band? Uh, what else do you want to say about Exodus here? Andrew, I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, you kind of nailed the, their uh, beginnings. I think it's really interesting that Kirk Hammett was an original guitarist of, of Exodus and left and then, you know, became famous with Metallica, became, you know, Metallica's mainstay lead guitarist. Um, almost better for it now, you know, because Exodus uh, got Gary Holt. He became their main songwriter. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Um, you know, Testament and Exodus are both 
kind of deserving to be in that big four category, and they never really were. Uh, and that's really unfortunate, um, especially in the case of Exodus, because, you know, their their music was so influential uh, to not only, you know, members of the big four, but to people who came afterward and said, yes, this is the type of metal I want to play. Even if it was some derivative of thrash metal and some kind of subgenre, Exodus was one of the bands that really, really propelled people forward um, in, in their exploration of, of, of metal. So the albums that I picked are their first album, Bonded by Blood, and then actually their third album, uh, Fabulous Disaster. Uh, and the reason why I picked these two is because you gotta go, you gotta go with the first album. You always gotta go with the first album to get a good sense of where this band was at when they were formed, what they were thinking when they were writing their first few songs, you know, understanding how the band came together as, as a unit and whether they meshed well or not. And I think that Bonded by Blood is, is a really good example of that because it is stripped down. Uh, the production is not very good. You can tell that this was a band that, you know, played out um, a lot and got a lot of recognition, got some by some act of God or Satan in this case, I'm not really sure, um, got uh, an A&R guy to sign them and, and give them a small record deal. And that's very apparent on, on Bonded by Blood. It sounds like a garage album. And I think it's really cool. I think there's there's some aspects of it that are really amateurish maybe maybe not as refined as as they went on later um but but bonded by blood is a really really good place to start and uh if you're gonna start anywhere i would suggest a lesson in violence that is the probably the biggest jam of this of this album and it happens pretty early on in the album too so you get a good sense of it so let's take a listen to that one just thrasher just complete you know example of of where thrash was at in 1984 you know um everyone else anthrax and and metallica they had already had albums out so this is kind of you know not really a a big splash you know it wasn't necessarily something that was was brand new 
Um, but it definitely has its place along those those early uh, Metallica and Megadeth and and certainly uh, Anthrax and Slayer albums. Uh, especially and then, since they, sorry, Ben, uh, just to kind of add on that though, especially since they actually, I mean, they formed in 1979. They were right there mm-hmm. along the beginnings with Metallica and a lot of those early thrash bands too. So certainly, certainly, and I think that's that's a very interesting point because you know I mentioned that you know these bands had primarily primarily just played out a lot, and that's how they got their following. They played tons of shows and they got tons of people to come see them. And eventually they they had enough of a following where they said, hey, we can start making records. Um, the same is with Exodus. I, I would totally agree. However, their first album did appear well after uh, some of these other bands started re- releasing EPs, uh, releasing singles, things like that. So, um, you know, 84 is kind of the place where, where I'd put that. But uh, Fabulous Disaster is a complete upgrade, um, if you will. And... Uh, the best thing about this album is that it's concise. It's conceptually very clean. The production on the album is fantastic. You can really tell that Gary Holt has come into his own at this point. It's 1988. So four years later. Um, And, um, you know, just, just really, really forward thinking metal. And it's really interesting because what 88, that's about the time when, and justice came out. So, you know, you have all these other, you know, bigger, bigger metal albums doing, very similar things conceptually, uh, but for some reason, just this this album just hits above all of those. And um, you know, they they had a pretty classic uh, video from from this album, "Toxic Waltz," that got played relentlessly on Headbangers Ball. Um, so it's kind of sad that despite how good this album was, it really didn't push them or propel them yeah. into the space as Metallica or Megadeth or Anthrax or Slayer. And that's unfortunate because this album is really, really, really good. I think out of the entire list of everything we listened to, this was the one thing that I, I enjoyed the most. And um, I had known Exodus well enough. You know, I knew I knew of their music. I knew of kind of their lineage. But, you know, sitting down and actually listening to Fabulous Disaster was like really, really awesome because I, I walked away with a new appreciation for this band that I had, had grown up with. And um, I think uh, their, their covers on the album are, are kind of um, unique as well. They do a cover of Lowrider by War, which is very strange, a thrash metal cover of, of Lowrider. And then um, on the bonus track of that, they actually have an ACDC cover too, which is pretty cool. Um, if, if I could compare this band to any other of the big four, I'd say that they sound the most like Megadeth. And I think that the singing kind of does kind of mimic Dave Mustaine's a little bit. And that is really, really apparent on this ACDC cover because clearly they're, they're trying to go for the, the crackling ACDC vocals. And it really honestly just sounds like Dave just stepped in to, to sing an ACDC song. Um, but if I had to pick one thing off of this album that I would really like to highlight, it's Cajun Hell, because that song is such a diversion from the rest of the album. Um, you know, these guys are very good musicians extremely, extremely well-played music and really well-arranged music. Um, but Cajun Hell is, is, is significantly, it's, it's, it's unique because it starts off with clean guitars. It starts off with kind of like a, a Southern kind of like country and Western stomp kind of a thing that now, you know, eventually as the song goes on, morphs into this, this crazy metal tune. Uh, so if we could take a minute to listen to that, that'd be great.
Ben, you mind if I go into my opinions of the album as the the metal normie here? Because I I can say that I thoroughly enjoyed the first album, Bounded by Blood. I love that lo-fi characteristic that kind of went through in the production. You know, after further research, I found out that they just got their manager to produce it. And I think that's really cool. I think it adds a lot of character to the album. You know, I'm not usually a fan of high-pitched vocals in this particular era of metal music, but uh, Bailoff's vocals are really engaging. And he kind of knows how to hold down a tune um, without sort of falling into another key, which I hear a lot of uh, singers kind of do the same thing. Uh, I think the instrumentals on that one check all the boxes too. It's fast, punchy, energetic. Um, Unfortunately, I think the bass is mixed really low and there's pretty much no end to it, which, or no low end to it, um, which is unfortunately a victim of a lot of uh, metal from this era. I mean, we can look to And Justice for All as an example of that. Um, you know, and a lot of the time that is forgivable in Thrash. But favorite track in that first album was probably Metal Command. So if Ben wants to play this now, go ahead. sure if this is a controversial opinion or not but i enjoyed fabulous disaster but i don't know if i can put it above bounded by blood just because i guess i'm more of a paul bailoff guy i think the the screeching that goes on all throughout fabulous disaster just falls into that vein that i'm not into and maybe some people will agree with me maybe some people won't i mean then i'm the guy that just got into van halen this year so I, I'm not really coming from a good place when it comes to kind of vocals of this era, but I love the cover of Low Rider. I love Cage in Hell. That is my favorite track as well. And I think Tom Hunting brings it all on his last album. I mean, all of his fills are crisp, mixed well, overall very memorable. Um, not much I would change. What about you, Andrew? Um, yeah, I'll try to keep my take on this short. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be kind of like a train here because I like Exodus. I think there's a lot about this band to enjoy. Um, you know, Gary Holt, it's a great guitarist and it will always hold a special place in my heart because you mentioned our advisor for CM Life, Dave Clark. He once bought us a cameo of Gary Holt to celebrate, I think on season three of Soundcheck. Uh, I don't know, which is somewhere probably in our Tim Twitter. Twitter timeline, you know, eons ago. Um, so that, that'll always be memorable for me. Um, and yeah, if I think Fabulous Disasters is a great record. I don't, I don't know if um, last time I'd really heard those tracks there before, you know, apart from any Toxic Waltz, but man, it's just, that record hits so hard. Even lyrically at times, it's really interesting. You know, they, they, you know, Last Act of Defiance talked about like, you know, you know, you know, prison riots and, you know, the unjust criminal justice system that we have, you know, like father, like song talked a lot about, you know, this vicious cycle of, you know, domestic violence, you know, um, 
kind of being passed down from generation to generation. You know, normally metals kind of like, especially thrash, I feel like a lot of people like kind of dismiss the lyrics. Oh, lyrics don't really matter. And I think in some cases, maybe, but I think that's a really unfair, you know, critique on, on the genre because some bands really do put a lot of effort and thought into their lyrics. And I think on those two particular songs, they did. Um, the, the thing here with Exodus, I think kind of, holds me back from loving them more because honestly there are they, personally they just don't do much for me as uh, compared to a lot of other people you know they don't stand out to me as much i think it's really the vocal department i don't think they've they've had like i said three singers across their entire studio recordings and not any none of them really stood out to me that much i honestly did not like paul bailoff's you know uh, vocals on Blinded by Blood. I'll have to disagree with that on that one, Michael. You know, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but I'm getting like like the first record from Anthrax vibes on that. It's just, I just feel like he's really rough and it's not pleasant to listen to at times and not in a good way. Um, you know, Steve is better, you know, jump on that, especially after they, they, they broke up in the 90s and reformed in the 2000s. After he reformed, I think he was uh, had a lot more character to his voice, which I appreciated. Um, and their third vocalist, Rob Dukes, I think I threw in a song, one of his songs in there, uh, Death Amphetamine. I don't know if you two listen to it. If not, it's fine. But, like, he's good, but, again, just none of them really stood out to me. Like, there are so many – a lot of the other bands that I'm really going to favor on this list, their vocalists stood out to me in some crazy, unique way. And Exodus never really did that for me. So, while well, I think Bond of Blood's a fun record, but I really like Fabulous Disasters, and I think even their 2000 material has, has a lot to be enjoyed. I don't know. They're just, they're just not one of my all-time favorites. I think, I think one of the things that you guys are both right is that it's, it's, hard, it, it's hard to, to orient yourself as a listener with this band because despite you know the, the idiosyncrasies of the group carrying on, because obviously they were all, all these songs were written mostly by, by Gary Holt, the, the change of the lineups, the instability of the lineups, um, it really does affect your the listening quality. And I think that's why maybe bands that have so many lineup changes like this are unable to really make it through without like a, a, like a solid core unit, just because it's all over the place sometimes. I mean, we were we talked about Faith No More one time, right? Uh, obviously lineup changes up, up galore for that band. But, you know, there was at least a core unit where people were like, this is the group that I listened to when I got into this band and they, they stuck for their classic album. And I don't think that Exodus had that. And I think that's probably why they suffered and didn't get the recognition that I think they deserve. You think we can move on to Overkill, Andrew? Yeah. Uh, do you, if you guys have anything else you want to talk about Exodus with? I'd love to talk about Overkill, although I... Based on how I know about Michael's taste, I'm very dreading his opinion on this band, but we will get to that in a little bit. Uh, Overkill, uh, East Coast Thrash. Talk about East Coast Thrash this time. Formed in 1980. Uh, your key members for this band, uh, and I believe they've, uh, yeah, they, they haven't broken up. They never broke up. Uh, they, they, they've, they've been consistent since that day, which is, I mean, they've been around for almost, for over 40 years insane uh key members you got vocalist bobby blitz um he's one of the most constant members in there and powerhouse he is uh guitars you know um their their early records the more celebrated records you had a guy named bobby gustat gustatson gustatson there we go uh he left in 1990 um and um ever since then they've had like had every 
every now and again, they have this kind of almost rotating cast of like dual guitarists there. So they, I think they use pretty effectively. And then their bassist, uh, DD Femi, he's just kind of, or Veni, Femi, I don't know. Uh, he's been kind of there again, one of the more constant members along with the band since their inception. So those are your core members. They've released 19 studio albums since they formed, which is insane. Um, you know, they um, they were very, they got a large following in the late 80s, uh, had a bit of a slump in the 90s, and <laughs> it's not the last time you'll be hearing me say that to the, uh, this. And they kind of got a resurgence of popularity around the t- turn of uh, the last decade, you know, um, around the 20, around 2010. Um, I, I actually, I do want to stop and kind of pause there and to kind of talk about, you know, because I, as I just, I think Michael kind of, actually, no. I've kind of alluded to it with production, and I, I'll get to that in a second. But the general idea is that a band will become big in the 80s to some degree, and then they either break up or just slump in terms of quality in the 90s, do part just making weird, stupid decisions. And then they kind of bounce, maybe bounce back a little bit, you know, after either reformation or kind of somewhere in the 2000s. Um, you know, that's... That, that seems to be a trend, you know, it's almost like hair metal where like the 90s just killed these bands, almost like killed these bands, you know, outright, at least for a little while. So um, I don't know. Do you, do, I don't know. Do you guys, maybe Ben in particular, do, do you guys agree with with that when looking into these bands' histories? I do. Um, and I think that it's it's unfortunate that these bands kind of hit like this, um, this, this cosmic muse of just like, oh, we're, we're plugged in, we're writing all these great songs. And then somehow like 10 years later, they just can't do it. I'm not sure whether that's because thrash metal just fell off in the 90s, you know, because of everything that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I agree on that point, at least. So yeah, and I mean, they're probably a lot of years why, but I imagine just trying to keep up with changing sounds. Um, and reason I bring that up, there's like I said, there's no, <laughs> there, there's no exception for Overkill here. So other '90s, as a reason I didn't put any of their '90s material in for you guys to listen to because it wasn't not very good. Um, but uh, like I said, they kind of had a resurgence of popularity. So my idea for what you guys had for giving what for you guys something to listen to for Overkill was to have one record from their 80s height, particularly their second um, album, Taken Over, which is one of my personal favorites, along with their 2012 album. I don't know what album that is in their discography in terms of numbers. I'm not going to count. The Electric Age. Um, Because I think both those records kind of represent pretty decent pretty decently well what what the band sounded like in that in those respective time frames um you know and you know something that i will kind of repeat a lot in this episode a lot of times i tend to prefer how a band sounds in the latter half the latter parts of their career i'm not going to necessarily say that's entirely true here with overkill i think they're they're fantastic enough songwriters to keep the older stuff very interesting, even with maybe, as Michael said earlier, not so great production, uh, and I, which I think definitely plagued uh, Overkill's earlier records, especially since they were largely inspired by punk rock, uh, along with new wave of British heavy metal. That's kind of where they they started. So they kind of have a meshing of those sounds. Um, and yeah, you can definitely hear it in production-wise on those earlier records. Um, but I kind of want to take a break from me, myself talking. I kind of want to hear what your guys' uh, takes on Overkill, what, how much you knew of them before this episode, and what you think about them overall. Whoever wants to go first at this point. 
I honestly, I, I knew of them. I didn't, wasn't a huge fan, wasn't uh, an avid listener. Uh, so I appreciate the, um, the picks. I, I did enjoy taking over uh, tremendously more than I, than I enjoyed the Electric right. Age. Um, I don't know what it was about the Electric Age, but whether it was the production or just because it sounded so modern and like thrash in a modern context, if not done well, sounds aged. And um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. But I really did enjoy taking over. I think that there's um, elements of this group that almost sound Judas Judas Priest ish ish esque, um, and maybe that's kind of the, kind of the vocals. Um, but you know, I, um, I I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying about you know these these bands finding a, a particular groove in the eighties and not being able to, to keep it up. But um, over, overall, I really did enjoy the, the first album that you presented. Um, if I had to pick one that I really liked off of it, it's probably um, fatal of swallowed was yes. a good, was a great song. And then electro violence was also very good. Um, let's listen to electro violence right now. Similarly to Ben, I had never listened to Overkill before this, as with most of these bands. But um, I was really excited to see some representation from the East Coast. I mean, we're talking a lot about the San Francisco Bay Area, but you know, not a lot of bands uh, going to the other side of the United States. Um, I was somewhat torn over taking over. Uh, once again, I was immediately turned off by Blitz's vocals. It's almost opera singing at some points in the record, at least to my ears. Um, once again, uh, I understand his vocals age well later on, though, which I'll get to. Um, Power Surge was probably my favorite song off of that record. Uh, but yeah, the rumors were true on Electric Age. Uh, Bobby's vocals age better. His melody writing, I think, improved. After further research, though, I was I got really into that first record i wanted to go above and beyond for this episode for you andrew so a lot of my listening i did um songs that weren't in the playlist i think people who want to get into overkill to give it a good shot but are coming from maybe a punk route should start off on feel the fire i listened to it all the way through i love the punk and metal fusion sonic reducer is a goddamn jam and uh yeah yeah their cover is great uh 
and they and their first song on that record, which escapes me, is also very punky, very great, um, and probably my favorite Overkill song. Moral of the story: Shame on you for not putting that record in, Andrew. But Overkill as a whole divided for me. I think um, we're gonna get to some bands later on that incorporate their punk roots a little more uh, aesthetically. Uh, one of the ones that band, uh, Ben brought in. So uh, yeah, give or take on uh, on Overkill for me. And yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not surprised that was your take. Although I'm I'm very happy that you listen to the first record. I think that's a really good point. Um, I mean, I didn't put it really in there mainly because yeah, I, I just you know again I just kind of wanted a good rep, a good solid representation for each era of the band. But you know, it's a great point about that first record. And while I personally, well, I do enjoy the kind of operatic singing that Blitz brings in the '80s, even though Michael doesn't. I just love how his voice soars a lot on, on, on "Taking Over," or even later records like you know "Years of Decay," which is often regarded as fans, but probably their best record. Um, maybe I should put that one in there, but uh, although eh, "Song Elimination," right now we're in the pandemic, probably not the best to talk about. <laughs> um, but I, I put "Electric Rattlesnake" in. Sorry, "Electric Gauge" in there because a, I really like the song "Electric Rattlesnake." Uh, and B, yeah, to kind of showcase how his voice is aged. It's so like bitter. And it's got this just edge to it. It's just growly. It's got so much bite to it. I love how he, Bobby Blitz sounds now. He's almost like used his age almost to better how he performs as a front man for this band. And I think it's great. Um, yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on everything I um, wanted to talk about between the two of you. The last thing I'll, just, I'll say about Overkill is that uh, like I said, Years of Decay is great. If you like the newer sounding stuff, definitely check out Ironbound and, and uh, White Devil Armory. Uh, beyond that, I want to play the song Electric Rattlesnake here, and I think we can move on to the next band. out the little three of thrash i talked about a band we've already mentioned a couple times here on today's episode testament formed in 1983 your key members are going to be chuck billy a longtime vocalist i think actually steve souza who's you know longtime singer for exodus was actually in this band when it was known as i think legacy before chuck billy joined uh so again you have more of those connections there testament is indeed another san francisco barrier thrash band um <clears throat> 
Uh, you also have also have a uh, you know your, your big guitarist in here, Alex uh, Skolmik and Eric Peterson. I I don't know. Sorry if I pronounced that first name wrong. And then you have your bassist Greg Christian, who's honestly after revisiting one of my if not my favorite bassists in metal. He's so much fun on those early records. Um, yeah, you know they they gained a lot of popularity. You know, the first record, The Legacy, featured one of the more popular songs, "Over the Wall," and they kind of really just kept rounding out their sound as they went on. Like I said, they have a they had a really, especially on the album uh, um, "Practice What You Preach," had a really fun, bouncy song with their bass bass lines. There, uh, they kind of went in a more experimental direction on what's it, "The Ritual," which is kind of like their black album if you want to compare them to like someone like uh, you know, Metallica. Um, and then and then they kind of went experimented with like death metal and black metal and all these other genres in the 90s, blah, blah, blah. Kind of a slouch period for them, uh, kind of. And then they kind of um, kind of went back to the roots in there uh, in the mid-2000s and have been consistently releasing records since. Uh, I really love this band. I know Ben doesn't. I don't know where Michael stands on them, so... <laughs> Uh, before I kind of go any further with my thoughts on them, I want to hear what you guys have to say about Testament. Ben, why do you hate Testament so much? Okay, so <laughs> it's it's not even. Uh, I think the main thing is just uh, some of some of this music, either whether it's a sonic quality or it's like a so, like a songwriting quality. Some of it just hits you, and some of it just doesn't. Some of it just sounds like chugga 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 chugga, and then that's all it is. And um, for me, just prior to this episode that has always just been testament to me for some reason they've always just been the throwaway thrash band um i remember when we we saw them uh with with slayer and anthrax and i gotta be honest with you andrew you're gonna really hate this i like i walked out i went and got a hot dog i went i went and you know got a drink of something and then came back because i just i was so not interested um but i i i feel bad now having not sat and watched that show because after listening to some of the selections that you chose, I have a new appreciation for Testament. I'm not going to say that they're my favorite thrash band. I'm not going to say that they rose above, you know, some of the other uh, bands that I picked. Um, but, you know, I, I, I am happy that, you know, you were able to give me a, a good selection. I think that you're correct. Um, you know, these earlier albums are, are, are very much it died, died in the wool thrash metal of the same ilk of everything else that we know and love. Um, I think there's some evolutions there that happened with the band that maybe just didn't work out well for them uh, from a songwriting standpoint. Um, but I do have to tell you that uh, I, I did like Brotherhood of the Snake, and that's so... That's so strange because that's a 2000, that's a 2016 album, right? That yeah. is so far removed from what I would, would consider like classic or like what I would consider the Testament that I like. Um, and, and so that was, that was interesting too. And I will say this, that uh, you got a vinyl copy. That's yeah, great. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, much of their stage setup was all brotherhood of the snake. Um like like the artwork and like like prop and sets and stuff like that. So it it, it was cool to kind of listen to that retroactively after having seen them. So you know I, I've changed my tune a little bit. I apologize for for talking smack about Testament. Um, but you know yeah I, I I agree with your 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 take on that that you know hitting a really good stride in the eighties, kind of falling off and then and kind of finding finding their their wind again uh, near the later end of their career. So. My here's my opinions on Testament as opposed to Exodus and Overkill. 
uh, Andrew provided me with a smorgasbord of Testament songs from various eras. So I'm just going to give my top five right away, just to get it out of the way. Five, Stronghold. Four, Souls of the Black. Three, Over the Wall. Two, Brotherhood of the Snake. One, Return to Serenity. all of these songs I just named, we keep bringing up Dave Clark. I was in the office the other day and he said, fuck all of those songs. Listen to the album Brotherhood of the Snake. And it blew me away. The playing was so much purpose, more purpose, purposeful than any of the songs I just listed. Every note was just perfectly chosen. Chuck Billy's vocals were like atmospheric in this way I never considered before. Um, it even has some like corny spoken word passages that I think just added to it. Um, but main takeaways, if I had like Skolnick or Peterson's guitar and songwriting abilities, I'd never have to practice again. And it gives me hope that like a band can create such a slick album so late in their career. I mean, it's really a hard hitting punchy album. And it's like, it sounds like these guys are like 25 again. It's amazing.
I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I was not. I I really like Brother of the Snake too. I think it's a great record as because I have them final. Um, but no, I love Testament. I I, I hadn't really dug deep into them after a while. Um, and you know, kind of listening to uh to everything um they had to offer throughout the years. I try to keep it balanced. I should have probably explained the start. I did kind of create more of a like Michael said, a smorgasbord of songs for these guys to listen to. Kind of kept like the like the first like the first part of their career. You know, like half the songs I chose from there, and then the half the other songs from from the from the later material started from two thousand eight. And yeah, there's just something, there's just so much to enjoy with this band. Uh, I forgot how many ballads they've written over the years, and I don't think they. And you actually mentioned Return to Serenity, which is probably one of their biggest ones. Uh, in fact, probably their biggest ballad song, maybe even. Um, and and I love that song. You know, the Ritual. No, not a perfect record. Certainly not as good as Black Album by Metallica. Uh, you know, I I I think. They, they're 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 able to take a lot of different you know ideas and put them well a lot of great political songs too with songs like native blood and greenhouse effect comes to mind in particular um you know it's just like, like i said earlier you know the, the way that those basses just bounce on those early songs and the way that just the, their newer stuff on albums like brotherhood of the snake just butt punch you it's just so oh it's just so great and um and just Chuck Billy, I think, while he doesn't have as much of a higher register as a lot of these other bands, I still have been, he, I mean, his register is overall pretty low. I think the band's able to work around him really well. Whether he's just barking, you know, on these newer records or kind of kind of just soaring and howling on these uh, early, earlier ones, it's just it's just something about how forceful he delivers his, his line. His, his lyrics on uh, on these on these records I just love so much. Um, you already mentioned Brother of the Snake great newer track and i think it'd be a great song to play here on today's episode but i also want to highlight an older track since to kind of keep some balance in there i'm going to bring the song um like i already mentioned it greenhouse effect i think it's a great great track of a great record practice way to do this next one andrew i want ben to introduce this band but i need to go right after i promise you it it is a must that is okay please we, we will we will relinquish the mic to you man um this i'm really okay so i'm really happy that you guys brought me on particularly so, so first of all ben, this actually band. real quick oh 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 well, we'll start over you'll Here. cut i i do want to clarify for the audience that for, so we've now we finished the little three of thrash 
these next two bands are a personal picks from either me or Ben. This next one's Ben's personal pick. I again, now floor is yours. I am excited. Let me let me just let me just preface this and say I'm excited. This was one of the main reasons I was really happy to to be on this show with you guys because the minute that you floated the idea, let's talk about thrash metal. The first band that popped in my head was Voivod, um, Canadian thrash metal. Uh, considered one of the big four of Canadian thrash. So these guys are, are very well known. And um, I guess maybe you're kind of playing inside baseball if we're picking other big fours of countries uh, to be in this conversation. But not many people in America know about this band, which is unfortunate because I think if, if you're talking about thrash metal, you guys brought up really good points. There's this mixture of hardcore punk. There's this mixture of this like second wave British speed metal that they were trying to emulate here in the States. Um, very much the same in Canada, obviously, but few bands really took it to the next level. Few other bands, you know, integrated progressive rock music and um, like almost math metal, um, math rock into their music. Unlike, unlike Voivod, Voivod did it all. And that was what's really special about them for me is that in, in, in many ways, if, if you're looking in, in like a comparative con- context, these guys are like the rush of thrash metal. And it's not just because they're Canadian. It's because that they have done so many weird progressive things with their music. And, um, you know, they started in 82. Uh, so around the same time as, as everybody else, um, but, uh, you know, they had some lineup changes, but for the most part, this band it stayed the, the way it was until at least um, their guitarist, uh, Denny D'Amore, uh, passed away uh, before one of the albums that I actually highlighted. And I'll get into a little bit about that. Um, but, you know, one of the great things is, is that this band has had a serious evolution over time and it was charted on on each album. And I think that's hard to say with the other bands. I think that there's like a, a period where they do one thing they move on, they try something else and either that doesn't work and they go back to what they're doing or they continue to try to experiment. Um, This band didn't stop experimenting. And I would argue that every experiment that they tried worked. It was successful and um, it it added something uh, new to each album. And I think uh, just, you know, when I was introduced to this band, I think I knew about them a little bit, but honestly, I think Dave Clark was the one who said, Hey man, listen to this. And it just blew my mind. And I, and I, and I've been a huge fan ever since. Um, so I kind of jumped around with, with my album picks for this one, uh, simply because I wanted to give you guys the best example, uh, while also kind of highlighting things that I really liked about it. So the first album that I'm going to bring up is, is the classic killing technology. Um, one thing about this band I'll say is that like Iron Maiden, they ha- they also had a mascot. And I'm going to I'm going to butcher how to say this because it's like almost half French and uh, and Canadian at the same time. Um, I think it's Krogel or something. I'm, I apologize. Um, they had a lot of weird stage names is what I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Korgel. That's what it is. So uh, they they started depicting this this character on their albums uh, pretty heavily. And I think Killing Technology is the first one where it's really just like uh, very clear. Uh, it's got Korgel in a spaceship uh, flying around. And um, Killing Technology is great because it's such, it's such a, a critique on technocracy, uh, a critique on, you know, politics relying more and more on a technological society. Um, that's one of the things I really like about this band is that they were – 
political without being overly political, uh, just a lot of critiques. And um, Killing Technology is, is probably one of the best examples of, of their sci-fi fetishism in, in thrash metal. And um, if I'm going to pick one song off of this album, it's probably going to be Tornado. Tornado rules. Uh, so let's listen to that now. So yeah, so that's that's a, a pretty good uh, example of of them in their their eighties uh, prime, uh, starting to really just start to experiment with the, the progressive metal that I kind of brought up. And um, what we're gonna do now, though, is we're gonna fast forward. We're gonna fast forward considerably um, to the the last album that had uh, Denny Diamore on it. This is two thousand six's Couture's. Uh, Katorz is a phonetic uh, spelling of Katorze, uh, which is the uh, number 14 in, uh, in France, uh, French. Um, and interesting about this album is uh, obviously the contribution of Jason Newstead. Jason Newstead is playing bass on, on every track of this album, and he actually wrote this with Denny Diamore right before he passed. They had um, recorded most of this album in Denny's house, and uh, eventually, you know, he, he, he died. Um, so when he did die, Jason sent this to the rest of the band and said, let's let's finish this album. Right. And um, and they did. And I, I think it's it's great from the standpoint of being kind of a labor of love for these guys, you know, doing right by um, their guitarist. Um, but also this album is it just kills. You know, I like Michael. He said earlier that some of these some of these bands had crushing riffs. Uh, there is no more crushing of, of riffage than and then on this album. And, uh, you know, Jason's low end on this album really adds so much to uh, their, their normal sound. Uh, one great example is the second track, Dog Nation. So let's take a listen to that now.
just just awesome. And another thing I'll say about Voivod too is that you know, as as much as they kind of in, integrated some of this this hardcore punk um, sound into their earlier days, I will note that later on they they got almost more of a post punk sound to their to their thrash metal. Things kind of were less. Um, less distorted, maybe a little bit more clean guitars, a little bit more experimentation with synthesizers. Um, and it's, it's difficult to hear. You really have to sit down and listen to some of this, this instrumentation to get it all in. Um, but I will say that like, you know, they're big fans of public image limited and in a lot of ways, their music almost had an influential thing on, on public image limited too. So this is, it's really kind of this weird crossover of, of these punk roots kind of, you know, stretching out as their career went on but yeah i love this band so just thank you so much for letting me highlight voivod because not a lot of people know about them yeah ben let me tell you something man voivod is the reason you're welcome back on this show anytime uh i listen to odds and fraud uh, odds and frauds and i was like holy fucking shit this is this is what i've been looking for so i went back i immediately listened to war and pain in its entirety and just sitting there stunned like this is like what every thrash band eventually should come to be like um you know i'm gonna quote dave grohl here who is known for being kind of a uh, a sensationalist but he called voivod the most badass band he's ever heard in his life and it came pretty close for me. I mean, these guys really just carved their own path. It seems like they were just totally unaffected by some of the more bullshit that happened on the American West Coast. And I think this is just like the prime example of great thrash outside the big four. I mean, this is what's reawakening. This kind of stuff is what reawakens my childhood love of metal. So thank you so much for bringing this on. Uh, Odds and Frauds is the one I would like to uh, play. It's almost as if, like, I kept thinking, like, Smashing Pumpkins with detuned guitars huffing toxic gas. So you can play that one, Ben. with this episode is that I didn't get to listen to more more Voivod, but you can bet that's what I'm going to be doing after. And if I may make a suggestion, listen to Dimension Hatros, because that is what I would highlight as the other um, prime example of their 80s period of just of just fantastic, fantastic songwriting, fantastic conceptualism. Um, I'm really happy to hear that you enjoyed that. that. That makes my heart sing, man. Yes. 
I just liked it. But what did you think, Andrew? I'm sorry. I had to get all my emotions out. No, that's okay. And I mean, you've already said a lot. Maybe more grandiose than I was going to say. But generally, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of the same boat as Michael. I did. I knew of Voivod. I, I, I knew that they were kind of sci-fi themed and they were experimental with their sound. That's about it. And uh, again, I really wish I'd got them sooner. Uh, I loved Killing Technology. I thought that record was fantastic. I love all of the themes on there. I love the sound. Their singer, um, I don't know what... what I don't remember his stage name off the top of my head, but the way he almost has this, at times, I want to say kind of flat delivery, but I don't mean that in a negative. It's just, he has just this really, I don't know how to put it. It's just this really almost robotic kind of way of delivering his lines, which fits their sound. I really liked it. Um, You know, I think they had a lot of unique eccentricities about them that made them a really standout band to listen to very unique in the genre was it crazy about cat Wars? i think some some of the songs sounded a little too ridiculous to me i thought the production was nice jason newstead obviously always a great thing to have on anything because he's wonderful but beyond that i don't know like this like cat doors wasn't as much for me but i definitely want to check out some earlier voivod i thought killing technology was Great. And uh, definitely one of Canada's finest imports, along with Annihilator when it comes to thrash. <laughs> All right. How are we moving on? Isn't th- This is one of your next picks, right, Andrew? Yeah, so this is my personal pick. So I'm very excited. We're going back once again to the San Francisco Bay Area. But I feel the band I want to bring up here has a, maybe not as much as Voivod, but definitely a few u- unique qualities to them, I think, makes them stand out. Talk about the band Death Angel, formed in 1982. Uh, you have your key members being Mark, oh my God, I mispronounced his last name, Osagueta. Don't even try, don't even try. Osagueta, there you go, I'm just gonna, there, I'm just gonna leave it with that. Um, uh, Brad, uh, Rob Castavani, lead guitarist, the only real consistent members, and then again, a lot of these bands have so many different, wildly varying like uh, lineup changes, it's hard to keep track of. Um, you know, they, they, they had a lot of underground success before, you know, in their early years, uh, particularly with the first two records, uh, the ultra violence and frolic through the park, I think is what it's called, um, before reaching uh, act three, their only, their only, uh, big made major label record from their, uh, first run in the eighties. They broke up in the early nineties, 91. I think, I think most of the members, except for the singer, um, went on to form their own band under like a different name, but whatever. I'm not counting this part. Death Angel reformed in the early 2000s. And since then, every now and again, we'll drop a record. And I have to say, they're really, really good. Um, yeah, there's... So I've talked a lot. I've, t- I've mentioned a couple times about bands kind of either breaking up or slouching the 90s after a decent 80s run and coming back and almost finding, reinventing themselves in a much, just in every way. It's kind of sound better. And honestly, I think Death Angel is... The example of that. While I think their early material has a lot to like, particularly their 10-minute-long instrumental epic off their debut, the, the the self-titled song, The Ultra Violence. I know 10 minutes it might sound excessive, but no, trust me, it is awesome. It is every worth every second.
But, you know, once you get to, like, this Frogs of the Park, that is a sophomore slump. Like, I don't think, I don't know what board is supposed to be, but I don't like it. No one needs to hear their cover of Cold Gin by Kiss. No. Uh, Act 3 is, I think, a bit better. But it, to me, it just doesn't compare to what just the punch and the aggression that I that I hear off their later stuff. You know, it, it is just so. Oh, I don't. I just don't even know how to put it. You know, what I had these guys listen to for this. I'll I'll just leave it off there. If I had listened to the album 2013 record Dream Calls for Blood, slightly overlooked, but my favorite record of theirs. And then I again kind of gave them a sampling of some earlier stuff along with some other stuff from their later career. Um, I'll, I'll kind of get into, I can kind of touch on more in a little bit about what I think makes this band a slightly unique compared to the other, to their other contemporaries, but I want to hear what you guys have to think, what you guys thought of, uh, Death Angel and where, you, if you knew them at all before this episode. I agree with you on, on Frolic Through the Park. I really, really, really liked the Ultraviolence. I really thought it was cool. I thought the, the title track was awesome. I am a huge fan of 10 or 13 minute long metal songs. So count me in. Um, but I really liked Act 3 a lot. And I know you only threw um, a couple of songs on each album, but I actually went through and listened to all of Act uh, Act 3. And mm-hmm. I really, really, really dug that too. Um, I... I I guess my only take is it's going to be similar as we go through all the rest of this is that, you know, maybe it's like a time and a place thing for me that the eighties material and, and possibly the early nineties material always like shines through for some reason. It reminds me of, of being a child uh, and having that be what the music was around. Cause mind you guys, I was born in 88. So, you know, by 94, I was already listening to music, not aware of what was going on, but you know, aware of what music sounded like back then. And um, I don't know, it, it always hits the nostalgia button when you throw these, these eighties thrash metal albums at me. Cause I'm just like, yeah, that's great. And I just, I can't wrap my head around the later stuff. So I appreciate you throwing all of um, uh, what is this? The, the dream calls for blood. Yeah. I, just, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't appreciate it for some reason. And I, and I don't really know why it just, it didn't hit. And, and you know, if, if I can comment on that real quick, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, cause this three calls for blood. This is where I started. I started on this record, you know, and and of course I was there when the follow up record Evil, Evil Divides, which is I think is a supremely underrated record of theirs. I don't know why a lot of fans kind of sleep on that one. It's a, I don't know. I think you know, just I, I was there, so I'm probably more connected to that stuff than I am with something like the Ultra Violence. But I do understand where you're coming from too, Ben. What do you what do you think of this band, Michael? So Death Angel was the first band I think I dived into for this episode just because it came on shuffle on Spotify. And I remember somewhat really enjoying the material. The Ultra Violence as a song, just to agree with what you guys are saying, is just amazing. It's a bold decision to put a 10-minute instrumental that is not necessarily a ballad into your debut record, so I commend them for that. But the Ultra Violence as an album really stands apart from the rest of the band's discography, which I think is what Ben is touching on here. That 80s thrash sound is just so apparent there, and they do make themselves stand out from the other uh, contemporaries. But I think what makes Death Angel stand apart later on is their use of melody. Um, Many of their tunes are voiced almost like movie soundtracks. That's why songs like Heaven and Hell make such a good cover for a band like Death Angel. Um, again, I just got a small taste of the band's discography, so I might make some lofty assumptions, but 
My conclusion would be most of the material is great, if not somewhat forgettable, like what you're saying in the 90s and late 80s and stuff. But I think any slow song this band does, Andrew, is god awful. Man. Oh, <laughs> like, really? Yes. Any slow song they do. Oh. I could not stand any slow song. But the rest of it, I loved. So it was really just like a give and take for me. I hated A Room with a View and I hated Volcano. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, I just saw Panic in there so I thought you'd really like it. Oh, okay. uh, no, no, no. Another okay, level I'm, of cringeworthy for me. There. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, it's you know, okay. fair enough. I, I, I don't mind the slower stuff, but, you know, but you know what? My, I'll disagree. I'll slightly disagree with you there, but I understand it. The, the the reason I think that Death Angel stands out to me. I mean, you mentioned melody, and I think that's a great point, Michael, because I think melody is a very underappreciated factor when it comes to thrash. I think you find a even in the especially in the big four, you'll find melody all over these this this, this genre, even if it's not like the most apparent, you know, um, you know the, the most apparent, you know key aspect in any band um and any band that i think utilizes melody to the fullest potential are the ones that really stand out to me because i'm a melody guy through and through in fact i'll kind of bring that point up with a band we'll talk about later but yes i think death angels definitely melodic and i love them for that but one of the other reasons why i really like death angel apart from uh you know mark's crazy vocals i i think he just sounds so good especially now the way he barks out his oh it's so good um but their, their, their willingness to kind of get more personal with their lyrics. I think that's something I really appreciate it. Songs like Lost and Fallen. I think they're, you know, they're, they're willingness to explore, you know, kind of like what James Hetfield did on Master of Puppets, you know, they, they're, they're willing to explore addiction and depression and all these different ideas. And you don't, because normally these bands are about looking tough or singing about like, you know, some apocalyptic whatever, which is fine, if, especially if it gets kind of political with that latter part, part but I don't know. I, I really appreciate that Death Angel's not trying to be super like meat heady like some of these other bands. They're willing to get a little more personal with that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I really like Death Angel. We already talked about the ultraviolence a bit here. So the bond song that I want to highlight here from the later material is the song Fallen off of the Dream Calls for Blood. Being said, do you guys have anything else you want to say about Death Angel before we move on? I just, you know, one of the things is that uh, lofty for them trying to do, you know, Dio Sabbath with Heaven and Hell. The one, the one, one of the main reasons why I did not like that album is because Heaven and Hell is probably my favorite Black Sabbath album. Yeah. I'm a big Dio Sabbath guy. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, click, I'm good. I'm glad no, that this is at the end of the album because I'm yeah, done. Well, that's I'm a little done. unfair because that was technically a bonus track. I don't know why it's not listed as such on Spotify, but fair enough but 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the, the Relentless Retribution, Dream Calls for Blood, The Evil Divide, great modern thrash records. At, at least modernly released thrash records that I think everyone should go check out. Um, along with the Ultraviolence. Uh, moving on, though, uh, we have now we're going to kind of en- be entering into some subgenres here, thrash, kind of you know, or offshoots, maybe more specifically. Um, first off, the sixth band that we're talking about here today, um, White Zombie, and the reason we're talking about White Zombie here is because they're kind of kind of being a representation for groove metal. If you don't know groove metal, I mean, name kind of says for itself a slower. You know, he- still very heavy, but slower, kind of again, groovier version of, uh, you know, thrash metal. You know, these 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 bands. Not to say that these bands all like you know chug you know like really slowly. No, but groove metal like was definitely a notable offshoot, especially as the '90s went in. If like if there's any any genre that like thrash really morphed into strongly in the '90s was, uh was groove metal in fact a lot of bands that started off as thrash bands but on to actually become groove metal bands particularly sepultura um ben you so you picked the songs here for white zombie and you know when i asked you hey I, we were kind of talking about what groove metal band to put in here you eventually settled on white zombie how come well you know if you in per our conversation too we we kind of looked at a a a spectrum, right? What is the the more well-known, uh, you know, groove metal band, whether it's Sepultura or it's Pantera. Okay. So let's not talk about them. Um, I brought up Cro-Mags, which as you, you know, adeptly mentioned started off as a hardcore band and by, you know, the early nineties had full on morphed into nothing but groove and thrash metal. Um, uh, and you know, the only thing is, is that Cro-Mags is kind of an outlier almost, even though I would put them on this list. Um, you know, white zombie is, is a really good, um, selection because it fits right in the middle um obviously it spawned the career of rob zombie and rob zombie very much you know while he started to do his own thing i think that the groundwork laid in those early days uh, or excuse me those later days of of white zombie really informed what he was going to do later um and white zombie is kind of a weird anomaly because they started off as a noise rock band you know if you listen to their first few albums there's not not really any metal on this it sounds like post-punk and and noise rock um, and you can hardly even fathom that Rob Zombie would go on to do what he did. Um, but, you know, somewhere along the line uh, at the album, um, let's see here, we'll pull this up, Make Them Die Slowly. You start to see these, these you know, these instances of like, okay, we're going to start experimenting more with heavy metal. Um, and then it just full on morphed to what we, what we know as, as White Zombie. Um, I think about uh, the movie Airheads. Have you guys ever seen the movie Airheads? Um, no, of it. It is a Brendan Fra- Brendan Fraser movie. Also, Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler. They're a band that can't get signed, so they hold up a a radio station to try to hopefully get their their song played on the air. Well, there's a really interesting part of that movie where Chris Farley has to go out and, and find one of their girlfriends, right? And he goes into a club and White Zombie's playing in the background. And it, I remember that was my first instance of, of hearing about White Zombie. I was like, who the heck is this band? They look cool, they sound cool. And being a drummer, I was just like, I'm full on into this this idea of groove metal. So, it, you know, White Zombie had had to stand out to me. So let's let's take a little bit of a step back and go back to Make Them Die Slowly. Again, if you listen to this album, 
it still has very many elements of that kind of that noise rock sound that they had before. Um, and only a few songs I would say on this album are really kind of like a, a sign of where they might go. Also of note on this album is the first time that they're really starting to explore like the horror aspect of, of, of the band. Um, obviously Rob Zombie is a huge horror fan and white zombie is a classic, classic old horror, uh, movie. So, um, you know, you start to see some more of that at play here. I will say out of, out of any of these songs on this album, uh, the one that I would highlight the most is probably acid flesh. Acid flesh is great. And, uh, let's take a listen to that now. Hopefully that gives you an idea of, of, of where they were at kind of low production, you know, quality uh, again with this kind of garagey sound uh, to some of these bands. And that really, really takes a detour on, on the next album. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this. My Spanish is not uh, as, as good as it should be, but La Sexorcista Devil Music Volume One. You're, this you're is the first. Good as mine. I've never been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. By the way, I'm Puerto Rican and Mexican, and I can't say that still too. So there's that. Um, but this album's fantastic because it really starts to lay this groundwork of this like sludgy sound that we were accustomed to with White White Zombie. I think that's one of the best ways I could put it is that like sludge metal and groove metal kind of share that same space, you know, whereas, you know, a band like Helmet is is so much more on that sludge side and I wouldn't call them a thrash band at all. Um, you know, White Zombie kind of plays well with that sludge metal groove metal sound really, really well. And of course, the, the best example of this and the most well-known example of this is Thunder Kiss 65 probably one of the most well-known white zombie songs. Let's take a listen.
and again, that that you know um, evolves into uh, Astro Creep, and Astro Creep is a really cool album because uh, I think it just kind of just builds upon what was already there. And I think that if you're gonna look for what was the bridge between early White Zombie to Rob Zombie's career, it was definitely Astro Creep, um, and. You know, this, the cool thing about groove metal is that I think it it wasn't afraid to to, to play slower tempo tunes. It, it found a good space to still be as heavy as hard hitting, without you know crushing you with with high tempo um, riffs. And uh, again, there's kind of this this bluesy aspect to it, and, um, and most of thrash metal is not blues based at all. Um, so it's kind of nice to hear that thrash punk sound mixed with something that could be considered more blues based rock. And of course, uh, another great example of this is more human than human. Another huge, huge uh, white zombie song. And I will note too, that I'm not, I haven't been able to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure that that is a reference to Blade Runner because that is one of the things they say about the replicants that they're more human than human. And, you know, him being so into sci-fi and, and horror uh, genre, I, I, I got to imagine that's where he got this song. So let's take a listen. Yeah, so you know, if you want really great examples of groove rock um, or groove metal, excuse me, definitely check out White Zombie. And if you haven't heard of Crow Mags before, check out Alpha Omega because that album kills. Michael, thoughts on White Zombie? I don't have a lot to add, man. I think you should actually go first on this one. Okay. Well, um, I will say I do. I'm actually. You know, all those other bands I might have preferred to have talked about for groove metal. Ultimately, I'm very happy we brought a White Zombie because I really like White Zombie. Be clear for like two records. I love La Sex or I, that one. And so Astro Creeps. Love those two records. They're so much fun and so indicative of everything of like kind of reflects a lot of what was happening at the time, you know, with alternative metal in the 90s. I mean, we, we so much interesting experimentation was happening. You know, we talked when we were on "Had You On for Faith No More." I'm sure we talked about it then. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's just I just love that sound so much. And yeah, I know alternative metal will eventually mutate into the doldrums that was new metal. But you know, when it was great, it was great. And I think White Zombie kind of falls under that. And I think it's just yeah, a, a natural. You know, I think groove metal and this band in particular with, with these two records are just natural progressions from that genre of always 
Um, well, what were you going to say, Ben? Oh, I just wanted to add too that like you're you're absolutely correct, and especially with the grunge thing too, is that you know I mentioned sludge metal, but like you know in in a weird way that the grunge had such an influence on what was going on in rock. None of these thrash metal bands were going to survive, and even any of these hair metal bands survived any of that. I look at Guns N' Roses, right? Complete aside from all of our conversation, but you know, uh, Use Your Illusion was supposed to be one of the biggest rock albums of all time, and it got shut down because grunge had appeared out of nowhere. And then Guns N' Roses, the biggest band of the '80s, was a non-factor at that point. So yeah, of course you need you need to evolve and you need to kind of go a different route. And I think that's another good thing about White Zombie is that they weren't afraid to to be yeah. like we're weird, we're a strange band, and we're probably not going to be well liked. So let's just go out and do what we want. But because it mixed that grunge and sludge and thrash metal thing so well, I think that's why they were really popular then. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I've tried many times to go to like make them die slowly. Can't do it. I don't, I don't know why something about that record just turns me off as the flesh is fine, but I don't know. But no, but seriously, those, those two records are definitely worth a listen for anyone's time. And I think if you definitely want to explore any genre, if you haven't really delved into groove metal at all, definitely go beyond that um the one thing i two things i will cap off to finish with that um the less said about rob zombie solo the better mm. uh and if you want to explore groove metal further we already I mean beyond pantera um we already i think i already mentioned sepultura um i also highly recommend uh, machine head uh, particularly their first record i think a very spotty career but when machine head's good they are amazing. So, uh, Michael, what do you have to say to kind of round off this this, this topic? Yeah, I'm just going to have some quick comments because uh, I unfortunately did not get the chance to listen to White Zombie as much as uh, I would have liked. So I'm going to kind of burn through the witches here, if you would, and um, <laughs> and just uh, highlight the uh, the noise rock albums because I uh, am kind of have a favoritism, a love for noise rock and those first two records are amazing examples of kind of a noise rock band doing their own thing so yeah i would uh i would give that a chance uh i'm very partial to those kind of releases when a band starts out kind of uh inaccessible and then gets more accessible i think that early material is something special so that's all i want to say about white zombie um i do have a lot to say about creator though you mind if i actually debut this one um, sure. I'll, I'll, uh, um, do you mind if I kind of give a quick, uh, sure, sure. because before we talk about creator, I should probably mention, so that was right. Zombies groove metal. Now we're going to kind of dive more, at least with creator into German thrash. Now I know listeners at home might be thinking, okay, it's thrash metal, but in Germany. Okay. I don't know what makes that so much different. And I'm sure in many cases, not, you know, drastically different than um, what you would be getting over here in the States during the 80s. But particularly with the with bands like Creator, Sodom, uh, Destruction, the German thrash was particularly a um, real precursor to um, what we'd be hearing later with death and black metal. You'll definitely hear a lot of influences, um, you know, stuff, a lot of like, precursors to those sounds in 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 the German thrash in the 80s, which is why I kind of wanted to highlight them, because they kind of brought something a little bit different. And we're not talking about death or death metal or grindcore here. So uh, this is probably uh, the best, you know, kind of way to touch on those. But I'm 
you've really piqued my interest, Michael. You you want to introduce Crater? Okay. What what, what do you have to say about Crater, Michael? Um, besides Voivod, Creator was probably my favorite band on this list. Nice. It may not be surprising for a lot of people because over the past year, as I said, my metal listening has been at an all-time low. But the one exception from that is my slow but sure interest into black metal territory. Ever since Andrew and I did our black metal episode with our old editor, Brent, I've been picking up some scraps of black metal here and there, mostly kind of transcendental atmospheric stuff that some people seem to hate. But Creator is not completely black metal. I mean, that's why they're on this list. They're undoubtedly thrash, especially on a riff standpoint. But all the same vibes of black metal are there, especially in the vocal department. That shrill, just like tortured performance has been sort of an acquired taste for me. So I really enjoyed this band. Um, I knew Creator before going into this one. Like I said, I sampled a little bit. I like Creator. I was really excited to listen to more of these guys. And as, as you can expect, I, I loved pretty much all of it. Um, I nearly got into a car crash listening to <laughs> Phantom Antichrist. <laughs> so I wanted that to... That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I was headbanging so hard that I just like, I, I almost re-rented a guy. Um, but I will be more careful in the future. Uh, do not drive and uh, and thrash metal. I, I, th folks. I think it is, at least here in Michigan, I've, I've been told that it is illegal. Even if you're a pat in the passenger seat, it is illegal to headbang, you know, in, 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 uh, in the front of the car because of like, they say if you're like headbanging and then like if you get into an accident, if you're headbanging, like, increase the force like <laughs> going to like the dash i don't know i don't know if that's true or not they're but. taking our rights man but yeah i can't recommend this band enough um oh. I, I know ben didn't get a chance to listen to these guys as much but what are your kind of opinions andrew um yeah you know so you've you've, you've touched on a lot of what i've already wanted to say you know um you know especially as someone for me yeah, before I actually get going, I'll just give a brief overview of this band. I mean, the history is fairly similar overall. Uh, your key member is going to be uh, Milland, also known as Millie uh, Petrosa. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So they're right. He's brought, I think he's the only constant member throughout the band's history. Although, like, uh, although the uh, although their drummer um, Jurgen Vendorila. Don't, don't, don't try. <laughs> we've, I, had, we've had name mispronunciations all throughout this episode. You know, at least I'm an opening up to it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a rest. But the drummer has been a, cost, a pretty large cost throughout the band's history. Um, some, and yeah, they, they, they kind of started off making really aggressive, almost death metal-like songs kind of at the start of their career. Uh, vocally, also very similar to black metal, like Michael said. Uh, large songs, largely about violence and aggression and blood and whatnot, which is fine. Uh, their second album, Pleasure to Kill, is often regarded as a fan favorite and was an international like underground cult hit in the 80s uh, between metal fans. 
Um, and Hollywood kind of lyrically grew out, out of that by the end, by the start of the 90s. That's also kind of their dip here because they started to experiment. Uh, there was like actually, um, I, forget, I think I included a couple songs from the late 90s. Uh, that actually, for one of the few times, the thrash band kind of experimented well, but uh, they kind of incorporating more like electronic elements into their sound. But by the early 2000s, with uh, the album uh, Violent Revolution, uh, yes, um, they kind of went back to their thrash roots. But uh, at least something I've noticed as you go on to the later material, vocally, they're more melodic. Uh, you definitely hear a lot more elements of black metal in there. Um, and honestly, someone who doesn't like those really screeching, you know, black metal vocals or like grow death, death metal vocals. They don't really do much for me. I think Milland is a great middle ground. It's a fantastic middle ground because he's able, because he's still very thrashy in many ways he performs. You can still hear some melody, especially in the later records, but he still has those crazy violent shrills or this, those howls that he goes, that he just screams um, kind of going on, on the later later material i think it's a like i said it's a great middle ground and i think is honestly a great if anyone does want to get into death or or black metal this is honestly a band to start with made them in sodom as well um you know i this is another band where i do prefer the later material over the classic material again the, the pleasure to kill is a fine record but i i my favorite record there's actually the most recent one gods of violence i loved that record so much when it came out i know that's gonna give a lot of creator creator fans are gonna give me side eyes for that i don't care uh i i, I really like it when they bring the melody and the more melody they brought in their more recent materials just where i really grab gravitate to it uh you mentioned the song phantom antichrist michael that's a great track um you know i, I kind of again gave you guys a smorgasbord of stuff to listen to again so and and i maybe slightly favored the later uh, releases more, but Hordes of Chaos, War Curse, Under a Total Blackened Sky, Voices of Death, World War Now, Totalitarian Terror, Terror, Army of Storms, are just some of the songs I had you guys listen to from the releases that I really like. If you like, if, if you want to check out some er earlier releases, Pleasure to Kill is a classic, but that, one of my personal favorites from the early stuff is Stream Aggression, as well as Coma Souls. So generally that's where you should go, I think, for Creator... Um, I want to play the song World War Now uh, right here. Uh, it's kind of a sampling of their uh, newer material. Do you have a song you want to highlight for everyone listening at home? 
No, for me, it was uh, definitely Antichrist. So we can play that if we haven't already. Uh, in our last 15 minutes here, though, I think um, we should talk about... Well, quick then. I know you didn't really get a chance to listen to Crater, but I was wondering if you had any experience really with German thrashing, just to kind of give you a chance here to talk. Not really, but you know, now that I know that Michael almost um, you know fell off his mortal coil listening to one of these tunes, I, I'm all more inclined now to go back and listen to this after this 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 session. So glad you're here, man. But way, yes. way to be Please almost death by metal. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad way to go. Death by my metal music. That's pretty awesome. Um, but now we have another. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this band, Michael? Before we move on? No, man, I'm good. All right. Well, let's talk about a band I think we're all pretty familiar with, I think, here. I think this is definitely one where you can say that. Uh, I had Ben pick out this this, this music for this band. We're talking about going away from German thrash. We're talking about crossover thrash, a genre full of short, aggressive, punk-like metal songs. Uh, I love this genre. So many bands uh, from the genre, I just, just I love to death, but... Ben, you went when I asked what crossover band you you wanted to talk about. You went with an all time classic. Who would you pick? You can't talk about crossover thrash without talking about suicidal tendencies. Band, you know, I know it might be cliche. It might be the most popular uh, iteration of what you could consider crossover thrash, but it's the first thing that pops into your head when you think of that genre. Um, suicidal tendencies is probably one of my favorite bands, which is just funny enough because of how over the top somewhat that they are um you know there's there's some element of cheese to them especially as their career went on um but you know if you're looking at a clear example of how hardcore punk and 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 metal music found found like the same space in in the 80s um you can't look any any further than suicidal tendencies started as a hardcore band in the 80s in 1980 to be exact um by by Mike Muir, uh, who became one of the, the the only remaining members from that original lineup. Um, it, it's it's, it's pretty it, much. I was going to say, it reminds me a lot of like Social Distortion. Really, like it's only the same. Yes. I think it's just a revolving door. It's constant revolving yes. door. Yes. All the other positions. I would absolutely agree. It, it's it very is very much Mike Muir's band, and uh, you can tell because everything is centered around him. Uh, it's centered around his vocals and his lyrics. Uh, there's all these kind of anthemic qualities to all of these songs, and you can tell that a lot of this stuff, you know, started as lyrics and, and lyrical concepts and ideas, and then and morphed into to, to tunes. Um, but you know, the, the the best thing about this band is is because they they were not afraid to really dive headfirst into something that maybe their fans weren't going to agree with. Um, I think about Black Flag, right? And thinking about, you know, the evolution of the last few, like, great Henry Rollins Black Flag albums. And, and they're, they're metal. Um, they're not so much more punk. And, you know, if you, if you read any interviews with Greg Ginn or, or Henry, they said that they did that mostly to piss off their fans because their fans were so zealotous about their, their earlier music. Um, you know, that's almost like the exact opposite with suicidal. They didn't do it to piss off anybody. That's just kind of how they evolved and they became a metal band, um, after being, you know, a hardcore band for so long. 
but the really the coolest thing about this band is all the the, the people that they influenced um you know if you listen to ice cube or not excuse me ice cube ice t i apologize uh talk about the formations of body count you know he based those off of two bands slayer and suicidal tendencies and I believe the exact quote from him is that they were the ones that brought the L.A. gangbanger style to, to metal music. And, you know, that's obvious from their, you know, their very first album. They were all wearing, you know, colors, uh, bandanas, things like that. And uh, that kind of carried through, um, especially because a lot of their their makeup of their their group was like Hispanic and, and Latino uh, musicians, too, from from the uh, Venice, California area. Um so, you know, you kind of had this kind of Vato, you know, uh, Vato Loco kind of thing going on with Suicidal. So there's there's all these different elements to this band that make them great. Um, but, you know, I mentioned Guns N' Roses earlier, right? Guns N' Roses got famous off of one album. And let's be very real about that. They got famous and got put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of Appetite for Destruction. That's not to say that Guns N' Roses isn't great. And that's not to say that Appetite isn't great. But, you know, let's let's call a spade a spade. That's the score. The same thing almost happened with with Suicidal Tendencies. That first Suicidal Tendencies album, their their hallmark self-titled album is a masterpiece from beginning to end. It just drives, 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 drives. And as much of it is is hardcore punk. Uh, like several of those songs are just like guitar solos. Like many of those songs have like a, just a standard riff and there's just a solo just ripping on top of it the entire time. And I think that's like a really cool, you know, um, idea of, of, of what thrash metal really is. I mean, you can talk about riffs, you can talk about these soaring vocals and then just like these blast beats, but you know, it's, it's all about the solos, man. And um, that's something that I think that suicidal tendencies really had down, especially on this first album. And, you know, you can talk about their, their hallmark video institutionalized, which got tons of play when MTV first started. Um, and uh, if you if you sit down and listen to that album like a couple of times, there's a solo going on throughout the entirety of all that verse. While Mike is, you know, just kind of just, you know, talking about spitting Pepsi. A, talking about <laughs> Pepsi, which became a Fred Durst line later on, which is awful. But, um, you know, yeah, he's, he's well, talking about all these, these 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 these, you know, these issues of youth, right? Being being pent up, being angry, being frustrated about all these different things that you don't really understand because you've got all the hormones and the puberty and and you know you're starting to like girls or guys if you're into that. It, it doesn't matter, but you're, you're you're confused. You're a pubescent and you're you're confused. Um, and I think that's one of the things that Mike really nailed down on this album. But despite all of that, again, there's just nothing but shredding going on behind him, and it's all mixed very well for a first for first time out to, to really say, this is, this is who we are. The, the self-titled Suicidal Tendencies album is, is a masterpiece in my eyes. And uh, you can't really get away with that without playing Institutionalized. Let's, let's hear a little bit of Institutionalized. I was in my room and I was just like staring at the wall thinking about everything. Then yeah, I was thinking about nothing. And then my mom came in and I didn't even know she was there. She called my name and I didn't hear her. Then she started screaming, Mike, Mike. And I go, what, what's the matter? What's the matter with you? I go, there's nothing wrong, Mom. She goes, don't tell me that. You're on drugs. I go, no, Mom, I'm not on drugs. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know. Why don't you give me a Pepsi? She goes, no, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, no, you're 
You're not digging, you're untouched. None of the people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. Just a Pepsi. God, I love that song. It's just so great. And, um, you know, as much as that album is, is hardcore punk and it's called Crossover Thrash, let's just say that that's a punk album. Their next album, though, was was much more of this thrashy vein. And I think that they, they really started to embrace kind of going more into like a, like a riff based metal band, as opposed to being like a hardcore band. And a lot of that is evidence in the way that Mike changes the way he sings. Um, if you, if you listen to all of the first suicidal tendencies album, he's like, he's like, um, he's like barking almost, you know, he's like using his normal tone of voice, and he's just he's just like just phonetically just on, on rhythm rhythmically saying things uh, on join the army which is the the next album that i really kind of highlighted in full um, he's he's almost singing like lemmy in a weird way he changes the tonality of his voice he drops his register he's tr- attempting to actually sing some sort of melody over uh, these tunes as opposed to just kind of just barking lyrics and um, it really changes the way that the band starts to feel. I got to admit, at first, when I was younger, I only liked that first Suicidal Tendencies album because it's the only one that I really related to. Um, but as I kind of got into you know, uh, later high school and then eventually went back to college, um, I really, really got into Join the Army. And it's, um, it's kind of a clear evolution of, of that bridge. There's still some elements of punk to, to this this album but it's really starting to say okay this is this is where we're going and we're going with a thrash sound and if i had to pick one uh song off of that to really kind of uh, highlight any of that uh, it would probably be possessed escape possessed escape is probably the best song on this album let's take a listen to that So yeah, I, I love that song. And, and you know, if, if any of you guys are into um, reworkings of tunes, uh, Mike decided that he was going to re- re-record the first Suicidal Tendencies album and join the army um, to some degree uh, later on because of publishing rights, because he didn't have the publishing rights to those first two albums. And he wanted to, to produce, you know, the work and have people be able to buy those songs still. So he re-recorded them to, to, 
some ill fate. The first one, the re-recording is not very good. However, the second re-recording has the, uh, the if you guys know who Thundercat is, um, Thundercat is on that album, and so is his brother who plays drums, and they're both fantastic jazz musicians. And so there's like almost this weird jazz fusion quality to the re-recording, and their version of Possessed to Skate is really great. So if you have a chance, go check that out too. It doesn't lack any of its of its you know respective metal balls. Um, it's it's still pretty hard hitting, but you know the best example. If you really want to talk about suicidal tendencies as, as a thrash band, it has to be How Will I Laugh uh, Today. Um, uh, no, excuse me, How Will I Laugh Tomorrow. The, it goes from the title track of the, uh, of, of the uh, album is how, I, how Will I Laugh Tomorrow. The rest of the lyric is If I Can't Cry Today. It sounds kind of um, cheesy, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really good example of, of where they went. Um, this album just just rips this album is just so heavy and uh, I may not have liked it when I was younger, but upon revisiting all of this, I got to say that how will I laugh tomorrow is probably one of my favorite suicidal tendencies albums. Um, just cause the, uh, the instrumentation is very good. The production is much more refined. Um, I feel like there were, there were more spaces for them to kind of jam out in. Um, and I think that the guitar solos are much more um, just, just well-conceived well thought out they're not just thrown on top of stuff just to be there um this is a really tight tight album and there's a lot of things that you could kind of you know pick out from all of this um but the one the two that i would suggest are the title track trip to the brain and then uh surf and slam surf and slam is great so let's listen to uh trip to the brain And also, if you haven't seen the music video for Trip to the Trip, Trip of the Brain, it's it's really interesting. It's like kind of takes the whole institutionalized uh, concept of that video and just kind of like uh, slams steroids into it. It's just fantastic. So you know, that's I've just talked a bunch. No, no, no. You're good, I want man. I want to know what you guys think now about my favorite thrash band, Suicidal <laughs> Tendencies. Andrew, you go first. In the interest of time, I might cut my opinions short so we can get to some newer thrash. I, I still want, I'm still interested to hear what you have to say about this later records, Michael. But I'm going to disappoint you slightly here, Ben. Because here's the thing. Uh, you mentioned this band being a one-album band. And 
Listen, I love suicidal tendencies. I have a patch. I have my punk vest over there. I'm wearing, I'm rocking, for those listening home, I'm rocking the, the metal vest right here, municipal waste, because they're another great crossover thrash band. But I have a suicidal tendencies patch on the back of that jacket, because I love that first record. Whenever I have tried to explore past it, I've struggled. I really have. And it, it, it's, it's, I think it's more of a sonic thing. Here's, I kind of like their... Oddly enough, I kind of like their 99 album Freedom. I know it's a stupid record, but that's kind of why I like it, because it's stupid and fun. Um, I will say upon researching for this, I actually found myself really enjoying uh, How I Laugh Today if I can't... I think it's I, I Can't Even Smile Tomorrow, t- t- Today, Tomorrow. It, that I hate that album title. It's so confusing. But it, it's, a, it's actually a really enjoyable thrash record. Um, I'll make not as aggressive as a lot of the other ones we've heard so far today. I think it has a lot of still a lot of fun punk qualities to it that um, that has, you know, some marks of crossover thrash. However, I did not, wasn't the biggest fan of Join the Army. I thought the production was terrible. Mike Murr sounded like he was about to fall asleep on half that record <laughs> just i don't know like, especially i think on the song a little each day i could barely even hear him like at times like what what i, I don't know so I, I listen you know i i think suicidal has had some decent records after the first but really nothing whenever i try there's just something missing um from from that first record that, I, that i'm hearing on these later ones i'm not saying they should have repeated after remaking that first record over and over i'm not saying that but you know, it was just a lot of the edge. Almost felt like it was gone. So I I disagree. That's all okay. I'll say. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm with you, Ben. I, I, think I, I do awesome. love the debut so much, and I think that is a great, just a fantastic uh, example of crossover thrash. Um, and if I can recommend other ones, like I said, Municipal Waste, a great modern crossover thrash band. Obviously, DRI is big as well, um, and that one as well. I'm not crazy about them. I guess you can look at early Chromax. And and Stormtroopers of Death. Can't get away without Stormtroopers of Death, which is a, kind of a side project of Anthrax, Scott Ian's band, uh, very much in the same vein as that first Suicidal album. Um, however, a lot of that has aged very poorly. Uh, their, their main album is Speak English or Die. Yeah, not, not so much these days. Can't really rock that album and feel good about it, but it's a good album. Yeah, my opinions of Suicidal Tendencies, the later material, is I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of it uh, carries over all of the elements that I really liked about that first record, but it just kind of turns it on its head. I mean, uh, God, what was his name? Um, John Nelson uh, completely changed the direction of the band with his guitar playing. And while I loved the solos all across the first record, um, you know, you can't break a good thrash solo i mean even with uh kind of the hardcore punk roots behind it it still stands it's it's great uh not sure if i'll be going back to suicidal tendencies before i go to voivod or creator but one of these days we'll get back to it that's my opinion and to kind of round out this list, we're going to our last band here. Um, uh, we're talking, so we've talked a lot about band, pretty much every, every single one of these bands, apart from Exodus, who formed in 79, whoop D. Every one of these bands formed in the 80s. Their first records were in the 80s. 
um, you know, you know, they, they, they formulated in the eighties, even, even though white zombies a bit of an outlier because their heyday was in the nineties, Elias man's initial heydays were in the eighties. Um, and generally people think of thrash metal as an eighties genre and, you know, maybe kind of just dying off the nineties a bit, maybe some bands coming back, making some records, but I wanted to give this last spot to highlight a modern thrash band. And I, I wasn't really sure which one to do. Um, this was kind of my decision because I know Ben, this is kind of Ben's, uh, this is Ben's weak point. I think he said his threat thrash metal to him ends after 98. So the year I was born, so, um, which understandably so, but I still think there's a lot of great bands that have come out, you know, at the very tail end of the nineties or the early two thousands or even since and have just really spectacular music. Um, and I don't know why I did, but ultimately I still found another crossover thrash band, but they're very much sonically more into thrash, even though all their, all their songs are like two minutes long. Uh, the band Toxic Holocaust formed in 19, 1999, pretty much a, a trio. I think it's the only trio we have on this entire list. Uh, the lead singer and multi-instrumentalist Joel Grind fronts them. Uh, their first record, I think, was in the early 2000s, and they've sporadically released records since then i think their last record i want to say it was released uh what was it um i think it was in uh, 2019 i want to say yes 2019 primal future very bi-fi theme um i'm gonna start with you michael since i know you said you you knew about this band before we kind of doing this episode um what about this band do you think what do you, what's something you like about this band and kind of his ability to represent metal, you know, past the eighties. Yeah. I found this band originally when we way back when we did our online finds sort of thing. We, when we went to Bandcamp, SoundCloud, that kind of thing. And I wanted to bring toxic Holocaust on as an example of, you know, new thrash metal. But I realized that with 74,000 followers on Spotify, he was a little too mainstream to bring on for that particular episode. But I have since listened to Toxic Holocaust and I got a chance to listen to Chemistry of the Consciousness all the way through. And I can say Thrash is not dead and Toxic Holocaust proves that. Um, I don't really want to go on more than that other than just to say the riffs are so much more colorful with this sort of modern production. Um, I hear even synths and keyboards being incorporated in there. And... Um, you know, the, uh, the technicianship is just amazing. I mean, you think of all of the, the masters of this genre and you don't think that that talent can be kind of resurrected or reincarnated. But um, yeah, Joel Grind is his name. I mean, give it a listen. I mean, this is an example of how, you know, it's, it's music is not always a um, you know, generation or, or decade defying thing. Um, and I think that would be a good way to end this episode. But I also want to shout out another great thrash metal project, modern one, the King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album, uh, Infest the Rat's Nest. You've heard me talk about it before, but there's some great modern thrash for you too. But what did you think, Ben? Glorious modern thrash. I agree. I really, I, okay. So I, I was not aware of this, this band at all. Um, this was one of the ones that I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to have to give some extra love to, to try to, 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 to understand it and, and talk about it intelligently. I got to tell you, I probably listened to this list like twice. 
I listened to this album like three times the other day because I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought I was going to be really put off by kind of the more gravelly vocals. It, it kind of like was more modern to me. And I guess like in, in a context, like I really don't like that kind of modern metal, but this album just kicks so much ass. It was so cool. Um, I like all the, the, the themes uh, of, of the, not only the band, but this particular album. Um, I think in, in the same way that I'm like very into like, you know, sci-fi stuff and post-apocalyptic stuff. Uh, this, this really did it for me in, in a modern context too. Cause this not only kind of touched on that nostalgia button, but it, it was just really fresh. It was a really tightly, tightly written album too. Um, and I, I guess I appreciate that sometimes a lot of this, this thrash metal can just go on forever and ever and ever, ever like the riffs just kind of, kind of get sleepy, but not this, this, this album was really, really good. And I'm, I'm, Interested to hear more uh, Toxic Holocaust because of this. I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I they're not my favorite modern thrash band, but I, I, I do really enjoy what Toxic Holocaust can bring to the table. You mentioned tight relationship. I don't know if I already said it, but technically they are another crossover thrash band. Um, you know, I was trying to avoid that so we wouldn't have to double dip, but you know, because I think there are there are other bands, modern metal you know, modern thrash bands that don't really have to dip into that. But I think this is still a great way of, you know, reviving both thrash and just crossover thrash in general. Um, you know, I, I, I think the production is just super punchy. I, I agree. I was kind of, when I first heard this band, I was put off by the gravelly vocals, but I've sensed to really enjoy them. And I don't know. I think this is just a really fun band with some cool lyrics about like war and apocalypse and ellipses and even some sci-fi themes thrown in there. So great band um i will round out talking about this album chemistry of consciousness by uh playing the song silence just to kind of wrap up talk about modern thrash uh there's other other bands that i think you should definitely check out that have come out whose first albums have come out post the year 2000 um definitely check out uh i already mentioned municipal waste but i also recommend the the band evil the band uh havoc and uh my personal favorite and the one i would have brought on this episode if not i've already talked about their 2017 album woe to the vanquished so much in their decade rack up wrap up list a few seasons ago the band warbringer seriously listen to woe to the vanquished that is whew, that's a just a that's a stunning record and i think it is the best example of thrash surviving past uh its initial heyday but that being said i think that wraps up our discussion. We talked about nine bands. I think we went through them fairly quickly each. I think we gave a good summation. I'm very happy with how this went. Uh, before we kind of give closing thoughts, a fun activity I want us to kind of do. 
uh, I'd like each of us to create our own, based on our own personal opinions, whether they're in the big four already or not. I want us to create our own personal. If we had to pick, if in our ideal worlds, who would be in the big four thrash to each of us? I don't know who wants to go first, but. Can, can we include the original big four or just the bands we talked about today? It, it, it could be any thrash band, including in the big four, the ones who are already in the big four. Okay. Uh, do you guys need some a moment to think about that? <laughs> I think I got mine. I I, I think, think I got mine too. I have mine as well. All right. Um, Andrew, why don't you go first in that case? All right. Well, uh, the top. Gotta say it, Metallica. I know I've been raising all these bands so much throughout this entire list. I love Thrash Beyond the Big Four, but if you ask me, Metallica is still top tier Thrash. Uh, they're the best one. I, I, I know a lot of people argue me about that. I, it's fine, but I, I love Metallica still to this day. I think they've written some of the best music ever. I love them. Uh, after that, it's probably going to be either Death Angel or Creator. So kind of flip-flop those. So Death Angel, Creator, let's say. And then Overkill. So that'd be my big four. Ben? Uh, I would say... <laughs> You guys are going to hate this because I know this is like the least favorite out of all of them. Definitely Anthrax. I have such a, I have such a soft spot for I, Anthrax. I, love Anthrax. I don't have a problem with that. This, those, those guys, I mean, they, I, I remember when we went and actually saw them, uh, Dave was like, you know, they're kind of like just party music. And I'm like, yeah, who cares? Like, so what? So that, so I'm not brooding in my room listening to, to, to sad metal music. I want to party. I want to get amped. I want to get in, I want to, uh, you know, get caught in a mosh once in a while, uh, to, to use their own terms. Um, so Anthrax would definitely be on that list. I'd have to put Voivod on the list because I love those guys so much. I would put Exodus in there because I, I really walked away from this episode, really, you know, appreciating Exodus's music and then their, their place in all of this. So yeah, they're definitely up there. And if I had to pick one more, it would probably be Chromax. And I know we didn't really bring them up a whole lot, but I really want people to go listen to Alpha Omega. Alpha Omega is an insane album. Um, and I think that they're one of the best examples of, of, of a band going from a hardcore group to just a straight up thrash metal band. So those, those would be my four. Okay. I think my four, I'm going to start out by once again, thanking you for bringing uh, uh, Voivod on and Ben. I mean, this is the band that I think is going to do it for me. I think I'm finally going to get back into metal thanks to Voivod. Number two would be Creator for my uh, black metal sympathy. Number three, I'm going to keep Metallica in there just because it's a classic. They've always been there for me. Uh, number four, it's going to be Rob Zombie. Uh, we're going to have to end it there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh in all honesty, I was I was seriously concerned there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, number four, I think, is going to come around to. Uh, you know what? I'll go with Exodus. I I enjoyed Exodus a lot more than I thought I would. Um, for kind of being like the little three, you know, we can say. Um, I think they didn't get the the credit that they deserved by no stretch. So that is my big four. Nice. Um, I don't know. Closing thoughts, Michael. You you were again kind of the newbie. I just kind of. What was your overall impression of everything we listened to here today? Um, do you consider yourself a thrash head once more? Um, I don't know what you think. I think uh, I think labels are stupid when it comes to calling yourself a music fan. 
thrash is always going to have a special place in my heart and this episode just helped me come back to it and relived so many you know amazing memories of my childhood but now i have some bands to take with me and create new ones so there you go that's my monologue well thank you i really i'm glad to hear that um i don't know um ben do you have anything else you want to say not much more. I mean, Michael's experience is kind of the same as mine. You know, people who listen to music and listen to a lot of music, um, they go through phases. They might grow out of a certain phase and think that the previous phase is stupid <laughs> as they explore more experimental and, and, and interesting things. I think you get to a point, though, eventually. And I think, you know, I'm, what, 32 now, about to be 33. Fantastic. Getting old. Um but you get to a point where you're just like, you know, there's two types of music, man. There's good music and there's bad music. And, you know, you just have to go back and find certain things that you, you appreciate, even in music that you didn't like. For some of the stuff that we played today, I mean, there's plenty of it that I can appreciate that I, that I can say this, this is cool, you know. Um, but, you know, music is, is a continuum. And I'm just I'm really happy to be uh, not only on the show in general. You guys are great. But thank you for including me in this one in particular. You're a great guest, Ben. Thank you so yes, much. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on once again to kind of provide your expertise on a lot of these bands. And I, yeah, you're just terrific guest as always. Really happy how this episode turned out. Um, I mean, I don't have any closing thoughts, but metal. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, I think we can move on to our recommendations. You want to keep this sure. a little bit short. Michael, do you have anything you want to recommend? Um, yeah, I mean, I just found out Speaking of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, that their uh, another one of their records just came out as kind of a follow up to the self titled. I haven't even listened to it yet, but I just wanted to shout out: it's out. It's like dropped out of nowhere. So go check it out. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> All right. It's not really much of a recommendation, more of like a news piece. But there you go. Perfect. You know, hey, breaking news here on Soundcheck. You won't be breaking it by the time it comes out. Um, uh, I will mention I will mention one band and uh, have been put in a clip from another band. Um, I I the band I mentioned here, um, you know I've I've already recommended the show before, so let's get kind of made a nod to mention uh, the band Mortillery. They're a very obscure thrash band. I don't remember where they're from, but I bring them up is because. Listen, okay, let, let, let's be honest here. I love this genre so much, but it's, it's, it's a sausage fest. Like this, this band is probably one of, if not the most male-dominated genre in all of music. And it makes me very sad because obviously I want music to be a very inclusive place, just no matter what it is. Yeah, you know, you just don't really hear a lot of, you know, female musicians in thrash metal, which again, is very disappointing. But in interest of representation i would like to like to mention mortillery because their singer is a female and she's phenomenal go listen to the song radiation sickness if you want to hear one of the greatest screams you will ever hear in all of music it is i am not exaggerating it is fantastic uh that, that album shapeshifter overall is really great so i'm just going to mention them there since i've already played them on the show before but and another fairness of representation is going to be um uh, the band Hyrax. Uh, they, they've been around since the mid '80s, been on and off. But uh, in interest of representations, that you don't really have a lot of, uh, you know, African American, you know, 
you know, members, you know, of the thrash community, I do definitely want to talk about Hyrax. You know, they're, they're a singer, um, uh, Katan W. DePena. I think I said that right. Uh, he's fantastic. I highly recommend checking this band out. Um, they, he's really the only original member left. It's pretty much his show. And he's always put out solid music with the band. Uh, here's the song, Bombs of Death. That is my recommendation of for today. I think I know Ben's already, and I'm very interested in hearing if, if, if it's the one I'm thinking of. I'm very excited for it. Um, I think we talked about one, but I think I'm going to go with a different one because honestly, oh. now that I think about it, I might have I might have actually recommended this the last time I was on your guys' show. So I'm not going to do I'm not going to do the same thing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend kind of a, a weird album. Um, do you guys Saul Williams is a poet and a, a spoken word artist, but uh, throughout the two thousands, he, he produced like musical albums. Um, some of them to like varying degrees of like quality. Uh, the best one, however, uh, and it's a name that I can't pronounce because it's a little, um, it's a little racially charged and I'm, I can't say it. So if you want to look it up, it's just called the inevitable rise and fall of, and then the rest of the name. Um, Cause I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the word, but uh, this album he did with Trent Reznor and it's essentially like a nine inch nails album with, with Saul Williams singing and doing poetry and rapping all over it. And it's one of the heaviest things I've ever heard in my entire life outside the context of a metal album. And I thought this would be a fantastic uh, addition to, to our episode. Um, if I'm going to have one song off of here, I would say that um, banged and blown through is probably one of the best ones. Uh, but the one I want to play right now is a song called Break. And when my fears arise, I blow them out. Blow them out. Get it out. Outcast, unseen, unseen point blank, ready cock. Consider yourself hardcore. 
whore, hustler, bitch whore, reverend, doctor, doctor nigga, nigga. And that pretty much includes this dive into thrash. Uh, coming up next week, we have our second installment of Record Roulette. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, we did this last season, and I think we, between me, you, Michael, and Ben Ackley, I think we all had the general conclusion that we need to do that again this season. Yeah. So uh, that pretty much is wraps it up. Andrew, yes. what do we say? Good night, No, uh, we <laughs> always end with good night, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah.